Let's go to God in prayer, shall we? Lord God, our Heavenly Father, You are our Father, and You delight to give good gifts to us. You delight in us, Lord, and You delight that we come before You when we pray, either individually or like this, when we pray together as the body of Christ. God, as we, as we think about what we have to pray for, what we have to pray against, what we have to be thankful for, and, and the ways that we have recognized you around us, we are just in awe. You are worthy of praise. So much more praise than we could ever give. And we just are thankful. Lord, I look at this prayer list and I think about the many people who need your healing touch. I think about uh, Andy Vogie. Lord, would you please heal that young man? Would you please heal the cancer that is in his abdomen? Lord God, we just pray for a healing touch. I know his attitude has been good and he's, he's just a good, he's a good young man. He's a follower of you. I pray that you would bring relief. Lord, I, I'm thankful that you are, you're active in our lives in big ways and little ways. And God, I, I'm not sure that anything good can come out of TikTok, but apparently Carly has seen something good. So Lord, I encourage, I encourage people to spread your good news on all social media platforms, Lord. And may you be in it all. God, we give you thanks and praise for John's report. We pray that uh, the cancer would stay away, but we're just thankful, and we just say praise you. We're thankful for the activities that have been happening in youth ministry last night and Wednesday, and I just pray for this coming Wednesday, Lord, um, that students would be introduced to you, and that questions that they bring, Lord, that you would give me biblical, godly answers to help guide their lives. And not just me, of course, Lord, but the, the other leaders and the student leaders. And Lord God, just may we be together as one. And may this place be protected in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for Mike and Liz as they head to Florida. For Edith, that she's going to be away from mom and dad for a few days. Lord, that that convention that they go to, that gathering of 60 youth pastors, would be such an incredible blessing, both to them personally, but also for the ministry that they've been called to. God, we anticipate an amazing blessing of your Spirit. Holy Spirit, pour out on those youth pastors and their spouses. God, there is so much to be thankful for, and there's so much to be praying for. We know that Sandy Ashbaugh just needs your touch. Steve Roth is home and recovering, and God, there's just, there's so many people around that need you. May we be your hands and feet in this community. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, happy Valentine's Day. You know, I did some research on why we celebrate Valentine's Day and why it's on February 14th. 
And what I found out was so stupid that I'm not even going to share with you. It's the stupidest holiday ever. If you want to actually know, it's like not worth my time. It's not worth my preaching time telling you it's that stupid. So, I'm not going to talk about that. Today is Valentine's Day, and okay, so you might be expecting like a fluffy little sermon about love or hugs and romance, not for me. I could be romantic. I'm not a hopeless romantic. Occasionally, yes, maybe. I'm getting better, by the way. So this is not going to be that kind of message. In fact, uh, there's a real chance this will be the strangest Valentine's Day message you've ever heard. And for that, I will begin with prayer. Lord God, as we open up your word, it is with expectation. Expectation that you are going to speak to us and you are going to reveal to us your understanding, your interpretation to us. Our desire, Lord, is that we would get from Scripture, not that we would read into Scripture. And God, that only happens if we are listening ever so carefully to your still small voice. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Well, I want to begin my sermon today connecting with Pastor Mike's sermon that he gave on Wednesday. So, Mike, Pastor Mike has just concluded a series in what book of the Bible? Nehemiah. Good. That's great. Mike isn't even here, but they knew it was Nehemiah, so that's something. Yes, they remembered. And in his concluding sermon on Wednesday night, I stopped in just to, to get a feel for the night because I'm going to be in charge next week. So I was here. And uh, Mike did a sermon in which he put my timeline up. And I was like, <sighs> my timeline. Oh, it brought back fond memories. And he was talking about the siege of Jerusalem. And he was talking about what a terrible event it was. He was talking about, uh, it was so terrible when the Babylonians came and put a siege on Jerusalem in 586 B.C. It was so terrible for the people in Jerusalem that they were forced into cannibalism. 586 B.C. And, and it's, not even, it's not even that that was the worst thing. You may remember from my sermons in the timeline, they were forced to eat their own children. That was bad, really bad. And Mike, he had a whole bunch of scripture he was going through, and, and he said, and it, he wanted to tell the students about how we as humans constantly make mistake after mistake instead of just submitting to God, instead of just repenting and turning away from those things that lead us in such a terrible place. And, he, and then he said, and I want you to know that God himself, when the people of Israel made a covenant with him all the way back in Deuteronomy, God warned them, he warned them that that was going to be the consequence of their disobedience, that he was going to take his blessing away from them and allow other nations to destroy them, to even cause that to happen. And Mike, when you said that, I'm totally talking about you right now. When Mike said that, I was like, I know that verse. And I got, because I preached on this, and I got it out, and I got it ready. And I went over to Ryan, and I said, put this verse on the screen. But you, then I, I saw that you had like 50 slides. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to add a slide. But then I decided, I'm just going to bring it up on Sunday. Deuteronomy 
is going to be on the screen shortly. And here's the deal. The entire chapter of Deuteronomy 28 is simply the blessings of, with the Israelites if they follow God's covenant and then the curses if they choose not to follow it. The first 14 verses of chapter 28 are the blessings. The rest of the chapter starts on verse 15. However, if God says however, pay attention, right? However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Yeah, here's the happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> Woo, this is a fun sermon. And then for the next 38 verses, God details in depth the curses that will come upon his people if they choose not to obey his covenant. Now, these are, are curses that God allows to happen to them. He's removing his hand of protection. And when you get 38 verses later, you get to verse 53. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 53. Because of the suffering that your enemy will inflict on you during the siege, you will eat the fruit of your womb, the flesh of the sons and daughters the Lord your God has given you. There it is. Literally hundreds of years before 586 is when this passage was written. Hundreds of years before that came true. God was patient with them. God tried to get them to come back around. But hundreds of years before 586 happened, God said, if you disobey, you need to know that's the outcome. And then, if you thought that was bad, like how could God allow that to happen? The next verse I'm going to read to you is troubling. It's troubling. Only 10 verses later, 2863 says, Just as it pleased the Lord to make you prosper and increase in number, so it will please Him to ruin and destroy you. You will be uprooted from the land you are entering to possess. That is a troubling verse. It will please the Lord. It will please the Lord to ruin you. It will please the Lord to destroy you. We are not used to talking about God in this way. And we really are not used to talking about Jesus in this way. The church in modern times has gotten in the habit of talking about Jesus in terms of love and compassion, and for good reason. We should talk about Jesus as love and compassion. Always, always, always. Yes, yes, yes. Jesus came to reconcile us to God. Jesus loves us. God loves us. God desires to bless us. God loves us so much that He gave His Son to die for us. That he might take the punishment we deserve. And because of this sacrifice, we have the promise of eternal life. This is good news. In fact, this is fantastic news. But don't forget that passage. Sometimes I, I fear that we are so eager to emphasize this good news of salvation in Jesus Christ that we almost completely minimize the flip side of the message, don't we? 
What is the flip side? There is damnation for those who choose not to accept salvation. You know, the church through the ages, through the last 2,000 years, it seems like, you know, like a, it's almost like a pendulum. And the church seems to pendulum back and forth, emphasizing certain doctrines at certain times. And then it pendulums the, the other way. Sometimes the church, it, it moves and it seems like the church only talks about damnation, right? And then it, it gets to be such a fever pitch that it starts to move back the other way. And then there's times in the church where we only talk about salvation or the really good things about the kingdom. So I'm not sure about this, but this is what I've seen in my life. I think, I think my life started 40 years ago when the pendulum was swinging back this way. And since I've now became an adult, for the last 20 years, that's continued to swing up this way. Because I think before me, it was up here. I think before I was on the earth, I think all people talked about in church was hellfire and brimstone. That's the sense I get when I talk to people. Now, I wasn't around, so I'm just going on what they said. But then, like, somehow that message began swinging back the other way. Now, that's good. We shouldn't just talk about hellfire and damnation. But I think we're over here right now. My feeling is that all the church, at least in America, talks about right now is salvation and, and good things and love and happiness, and, and we don't ever talk about the other stuff. That's my feeling right now. That's a mistake. It's a mistake to emphasize either one of those two to the exclusion of the other because you've got to have both There is no good news without bad news. There is no good news without bad news. And there will always be people who choose to live in the bad news even when the good news really is good. You know, our passage in Luke today brings this kind of balance that needs to be brought to the message of Jesus. So turn to Luke chapter 12. We're going to be at the end of Luke chapter 12 and just starting chapter 13. Luke chapter 12, verse 49, picking up right where we left off last week. This is the words of Jesus. I have come to bring fire on the earth. That's a good way to start. And how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Well, that's a happy passage of Scripture. On Valentine's Day... How does it line up that this is on Valentine's Day? Because Valentine's Day is a stupid holiday. Okay, so let's keep moving. Based on a bunch of goofy pagan stuff. Okay, so. Here we have encountered one of the more or maybe most difficult passages or sayings of Jesus Christ. Well, you know, maybe it's only difficult because we've only been emphasizing this all the time. My guess would be a hundred years ago, 
This passage was normal preaching material. Think about that. When's the last time you heard a sermon on this? Never. Unless you are over the age of 50-ish, because about 50 years ago is when this thing was sliding back the other way, right? So what are we supposed to make about this? Because make no mistake about it, I want to emphasize, Jesus is love and compassion, okay? The good news really is good news. But make no mistake also, that is not all Jesus is. Remember, Jesus is God. The same God who wrote Deuteronomy 28. So what are we to make of these words of Jesus? Look again at verses 49 and 50. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled, but I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Well, okay, so these first two verses, these are not that difficult to understand. I mean, the fire that Jesus refers to, it could be a few things. It could be purification, because fire in the the Bible can be used as purification. It could be the Holy Spirit, because Jesus said he, he came to baptize people with fire. Remember that back in Luke? But in the context of this passage, it seems very clear that the fire that Jesus is referring to is the fire of judgment. In the Old Testament, the word fire was often associated with judgment, especially in the Old Testament prophets. They would talk about God's fire of judgment. And of course, the baptism that Jesus is referring to here, for us, that is actually very easy to understand. For the original audience, they may not have gotten this as easily as we do, but you know what the baptism is that Jesus is referring to here. It's his crucifixion that awaits him in Jerusalem. He's looking forward and knowing that he is coming, he's going to come to that period of time in Jerusalem when, well, when we know what's going to happen. It's the Easter story. So that's what the baptism is right there. But it's the next verse that we really have problems with. Look at verse 51. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. How could that be Jesus? How could that be Jesus? How could that be the words of Jesus? I mean, you know one of the the ways we talk about Jesus? He is the prince of... How could that be Jesus? How could the prince of peace say that? Isaiah 9-6 is where we get that reference. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We read that every single Christmas. It's why you know that verse. And even when Jesus was born, what did the angels announce to the shepherds? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Isn't the entire ministry of the incarnation about peace, not division? How can this be? How can Jesus be about peace, but then say he's about division? I mean, how can Luke 12, 51, how can that be right? It seems impossible to reconcile. Ah, but the answer is in the context. 
Have I talked to you enough yet about context? Is the answer, Chris, you've only been around here for a year, and you're like, yes, it's enough. Please make it stop. I can't handle this anymore. So that's good. That's good. I like that. So what is the deal with this? Because context is going to give us the answer. Now, I'm going to go through this, and I was really excited when I found this. I hope I can explain it in such a way that you go, oh, that's my goal. But if I get done with this and you're mostly sleeping, I have failed. So I'm hoping that you won't be sleeping by the end of this, okay? So first of all, if you've got your Bible, like a book, okay? You've got your book, okay? You can hold it up if you want to and say, look at what a good Christian I am and the rest of you sinners. You're just using the screen. I've got my real Bible here. You give suckers if people bring their Bibles to youth, right? Yeah, yeah, I started that. That was me. Pride comes before the fall. There's a proverb about that somewhere. I will give you a sucker if you brought your Bible. You just come to my office. Okay? So if you're at home and got your Bible, I need you to look at your paper Bible because this is one of those things where you need a paper Bible to see. You can't see it on the screen. Okay? So, here we go. Look at verses 52 through 54. It says, From now on there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Now, at first glance, this passage shows us the kind of division that Jesus is going to bring. The message of Jesus is good news. It's the good news. And it will be, now you know this, it will be accepted by some, but it will also be rejected by many. Right? We know that to be true. Um, That's pretty obvious. So, because of that, in a sense, what Jesus is saying is obviously true. When we tell people about Jesus, they don't always accept it. And when they don't accept it, what happens? It can create division. So, in that sense, Jesus is absolutely right, isn't he? Even good news brings division because not everybody wants the good news. They want to live in their sin. And if you encounter someone that wants to live in their sin with the good news of Jesus Christ, you've got division on your hands, don't you? Because the good news of Jesus Christ requires something. We're going to get to that, and so does Jesus. But I want, you to, I want to show you something that I found to be so interesting. There's something deeper going on in this passage that I'm excited to tell you about. So, um, if you've got your, your Bible, I want you to look in your Bible... Do you see down in the notes of your Bible, if you've got a study Bible, but this should be in any paper Bible, do you see, is there any Old Testament reference that goes along with this verse? If there is, raise your hand. Any Old Testament reference that goes with this verse? Anybody see one? Jet's raising his hand. Hi, Jet. Okay, he's, he's, now I've called him out. So Okay, so a couple of you have got one. All right. Okay, now, now just hold on to that thought. Don't, don't, don't spoil the potatoes here. I, I wanna, I'm leading somewhere here. Now, I also want you to notice that if you've got a study Bible, this is probably true, there will be a parallel passage that is referenced along with this one. Do you see the parallel passage? There should be a parallel passage in another one of the Gospels. It should be not in the notes part, but up in the main part where the, where the Bible passage is. Probably at the beginning of the section, there'll be a parallel passage. Do you see it? Matthew chapter 10, 
verses 34 through 36. If you've got your paper Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 10. Now, as we've studied Luke over this year, I have not done very much of this. I have not followed parallel passages because you can end up, that's all you do is follow parallel passages. Reading the parallels in the Gospels is always a good idea, okay? Unless you're preaching expositionally on one book, then you don't have to do that every time. But I want you to do it this time. Go to Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 36. Okay, I'm going to put it on screen, but again, the screen doesn't show you everything I want to show you. But here it is, Matthew 34 through 36. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. That's the parallel passage in Matthew. But look, in Matthew, that section about fathers and sons and mothers and daughters, that section is in quotation marks. I wonder why that is. What does your paper Bible say? Look at the reference. What's the Old Testament reference? Micah 7, 6. Now, I want to pause here. And I want to I point something out that's very important as you read Scripture, okay? In my NIV study Bible, and in almost all of yours that you've got here, except for like two people, in Luke, it did not reference the Old Testament passage. I'm going to suggest to you something today that is important. Referencing Micah 7, 6 will really make a difference in how you understand what's going on in Luke chapter 12. And the NIV study Bible does not make the connection. That's important to know. But if you parallel over to the Matthew passage, which is the same path, you see it's it's almost word for word the same. Did you see that? But in Matthew, it's in quotation marks, and in fact, the Old Testament reference is there. Everybody got that? Because if you go to Micah, like we're about to do, it's going to help us understand what Jesus is talking about, because here's the deal. Jesus is quoting Micah. He's quoting the Old Testament prophet Micah when he's talking about this division. Now that matters, and we're going to find out why it matters. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Micah chapter 7, verse 6. Or it'll be on the screen. So here it is. Does this sound familiar to you? (laughs) Look at Micah. It says, For a son dishonors his father, a daughter rises up against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies are the members of his own household. Hey, Jesus is quoting Scripture. And your NIV study Bible doesn't say that it is. That's a big deal. Because it means, and I've said this if you've, many times, the notes and the commentary are not inspired by God. And even entire committees of scholars, every so often, miss something like this. Did you, did you catch that? We just caught something that the entire scholarship committee of the NIV Study Bible did not see. That's what this is. Now, Why would, this is the important question, you see, when you realize that Jesus is quoting the Old Testament, 
a question should pop into your mind. Why? Why is Jesus quoting Micah 7, 6? Oh, now we're starting to get somewhere. So go ahead now and look. Look at Micah 7, 7. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Savior. My God will hear me. Now think about what, what's happening here. This passage is about hope. The hope of God. That, that God, our Savior, will hear us when things are divided and He will bring us hope. And when you read it together, it fits together. For a son dishonors his father, a daughter rises up against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies are the members of his own household. But as for me, but as for me, I watch and hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. And now, by the way, when you read all of chapter 7 in Micah together, it's like it brings the words of Jesus to life. I can't, I don't have time to read the whole thing, but look at, look at Micah chapter 7, verse 4. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright, worse than a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman has come, the day God visits you. Now is the time of their confusion. Did, the, the day of your watchman has come, the day God visits you? Jesus is the one who's quoting from Micah 7, 6. Do you understand? He's quoting and bringing to mind the entire chapter. Jesus is saying, I am here. The day God visits you is here. I bring hope. I am the source that heals the division. I am here. The watchman has come. I am here. The day God visits you is here. I am here. And here's the thing. And this is where we don't do our exegesis well as the church today. Because guess what? Not one of you in here, I would be willing to bet, had no idea that Jesus was quoting Micah. You had no idea. And you know why I know that? Because I didn't either. I don't know the Old Testament prophets very well. And I'm pretty sure you don't either. You know why? Because I know the New Testament much better. Because the New Testament is the, the freshest stuff we have from God, right? It's the fresh stuff. So I spend most of my time just like you in the New Testament. But think about Jesus' audience when he spoke this. What was the freshest stuff from God to them? The prophets. Jesus' audience knew the prophets as well as we know the New Testament. They caught the reference that we miss. Do you see that? And so they know Micah chapter 7. They know what Micah chapter 7 is. And you know, to Jews at the time of Jesus, Micah chapter 7 was one of the primary Old Testament prophetic chapters Showing that the Messiah was going to come and make things right. Jesus knew that his audience knew. Jesus understood that if he quoted that section from Micah chapter 7 verse 6, 
Jesus knew that his audience would go, he's talking about the Messiah. He's talking that the Messiah will cause division. And then what Jesus did was he said, you're looking at the moment when this is fulfilled. Like Jesus was literally saying, Micah chapter 7 is fulfilled right now. How amazing is that? And do you see how we miss this? Because we skip over this step. We skip over the step of looking at what the original audience heard. We blow right past it. This is so amazing. This is so incredible. The depth that is in Scripture that we skip over. Wow. Wow. And then Luke chapter 12, verse 54. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain. And it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot. And it is. Hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret the present time? Now, this totally makes sense. Jesus has just quoted Micah Micah 7. And he says, you guys can tell what the weather is going to be, but you can't see the Messiah in front of you. How, isn't it amazing how much we miss when we don't read Scripture in context? And we don't look at the original audience. Jesus is it's so plain. He's saying, I'm right here. God is in your presence. Micah 7 is fulfilled now. It's amazing. And then verse 57, why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you're going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled to him on the way. Or he may drag you off to the judge and the judge turn you over to the officer and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus is again referencing Micah 7. He's saying, when Israel was disobedient in the past, God punished them. And now you are missing the Messiah himself. God himself is here and you're missing. You've got a chance to get right because we are on the way to the magistrate. This is your last moment. People of Israel, this is your last moment to get right with God through the Messiah that he has delivered to you right here and you can't see it. And then chapter 13. Now there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. By the way, historically, we have, we have no historical record of those two events. This is, however, the same Pilate who a few weeks from now is going to sentence Jesus to death. It's the Roman governor, Pilate. But what is Jesus getting at? Again, we've got to stay with the theme of what, the context of what Jesus is saying. The people ask Jesus, well, were those, those Galileans that Pilate killed? They must have done something more evil than everybody else to get their blood mixed with the sacrifices. Or the people that died when the tower fell. God must have been judging them more harshly because of some evil they did. You know what Jesus said? No. God is not judging them more harshly. You know why? 
because God's going to judge everyone. It's not about how you die. It's the fact that we're all going to die. Repent. Jesus says, repent. What does that word repent mean? Turn around. 180 degrees. Listen to this. Um, I'm going to read a quote here. Repentance is not an emotion or a mere mental assent to a proposition. It is a reorientation to a new life. To repent is not merely to regret things we have done or to apologize for them or to recognize a wrong has been committed. To repent is to agree to change. Agree to a change of direction. A change of direction is required. And then to respond accordingly. You see, repentance is not about saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is saying, I'm sorry, and I'm not going to do it again. Repentance is about recognizing that what you have done is wrong, and then turning your life completely to go the other way. That's repentance, and that's what Jesus calls for here in this passage. And then the final part of this section, Jesus says, in, starting in verse um, 6, Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Now, at first glance, it sounds like that doesn't fit with our passage, except for one little thing. Look at Micah chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. What misery is mine? I'm like the one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat. None of the early figs that I crave. Jesus is bringing Micah chapter 7 back in again. This whole thing is about Micah chapter 7. The whole thing. In Micah chapter 7, the people had turned away from God, and Micah was saying, you need to repent. God is going to come with you, and when he does, you need to repent. And Jesus is saying, I'm here. The people have turned away from God. God has come to you. Now is your last chance to turn around and go toward God. The good news of Jesus Christ, the message of, of, of love, always brings division. What I am so concerned about in the church today is that somehow we are surprised that there is division to the word of Jesus Christ. And I am so concerned in the church today that we, we shy away from the division. Now, you need to hear me because we are in one of the most divisive moments in history. I mean, President, impeached just, or President Trump just got impeached twice. He was acquitted, right? We're like a super hyper-divisive moment. So is Jesus telling us to be divided in that way. There are some who would take this passage out of context and they would say to you, see, 
Jesus gives us permission to be divided. Because good Christians should be divided in that way. No. Let's put this in context. Jesus is about love and compassion and unity and peace. But when we say the good news of Jesus, it creates division. But notice, the division is created because of love, not because of something else. Did you hear that? We are allowed to live in division when the cause of the division is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you tell me, is that the cause of the division that we are in now? Are we divided because of the love of Jesus Christ? Are we divided because of wonderful political rhetoric that advances the good news of Jesus Christ and the love? Because if we speak the love of Christ, there will be division. But I'm asking you, is that what has been the cause of this division? No. I'm not saying President Trump is right or wrong. I'm not saying if the Democrats are right or wrong. You know what I'm saying? They're all wrong. The whole bunch of them. And the church, because we are scared of this, we step back. The church in this moment should step forward and say, let me tell you about the love of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about this love. And I know when I tell you about this love, I know a lot of people are not going to like what they hear. But do not seek division for any other reason than the gospel love of Jesus Christ. Do not seek division for any other reason than the love of Jesus Christ. Because you are in Micah chapter 7 territory when you go there. You are a nation, we are a nation that has strayed so far from God that God himself is saying, please repent. You're in the last opportunity of repentance. Turn away from that kind of division and turn towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the division that happens from that is a godly division. There is no godly division without the love of Christ. There is no godly division without the love of Jesus Christ. There is no godly division without the love of Jesus Christ. There is no godly division without the love of Jesus Christ. Church in America, hear it. Hear the warning of Jesus reflected in Micah chapter 7. We need to live with love on this Valentine's Day. Because the threat of damnation is real. We need to fear the one who can cast us into hell. <laughs> Again, do you see how this all, this all connects together with what Jesus has been saying? All through chapter 12, it all is one big connection. Would you pray with me? Lord God, there can be no godly division unless we are based completely on love. Unless every word that comes out of our mouth as Christians is about the love of Jesus Christ. Even when we speak words of warning, words of 
eternal punishment. How could God possibly think that those, those punishments that happened, those curses that came upon the people, how could God please? How could that bring pleasure to God? The answer is because it was that that brought his people back. It is my prayer that this moment in our country would be a moment that refines our country back to the love of Jesus Christ. Help us to be people who are always standing for the love and the good news in Jesus Christ. And we just know that's going to bring division. But that's all right. We love you, Lord Jesus. May we be that kind of people. Amen.